Welcome to Vitality Made Simple. The following production is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you need medical advice, call your doctor. Now, let's go to Vitality Made Simple. Welcome to Vitality Made Simple, where we take the stress out of being healthy. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Osment, and I sincerely thank you for joining me. Now, vitality requires discernment. From the title of this podcast, you might think I'm going to talk about cigarette smoke, but that's really not the the main objective today. Uh, you know, the world of advertising can be very misleading, and we have to be very discerning to protect our bodies because our bodies are our relationship vehicles. So in today's episode, I'm going to give you three simple questions to ask when you're facing compelling medical advertising. If you want to make your life better, this is information you're going to want. As I said earlier, the purpose of this podcast is to to really inspire you and to empower you to think for yourself when it comes to advertising, especially when it comes to a topic that deals with your body. You know, good advertising, and and by saying good, I, I really mean effective advertising, is designed to sell a product. And they often try to appeal to our emotion. Now, that's never more true than with medical um, related, medically related advertising. Uh, it's and their job is to make the advertising have a return on their investment. So they do lots and lots of tricks to get us to feel something to make us want to buy something. So, so needless to say. Uh, Companies go to great expense to influence our decisions, and it obviously works because they keep on doing it. Uh, but to make sound choices, you know, choices that you won't regret, uh, you have to get out of your emotional brain and you have to get into your reasoning brain. You have to get into your prefrontal cortex. So, so that's that's what this episode is all about. It's really about discernment. An excellent example of this emotional and effective advertising occurred back in the 1940s. Now, at that time, people were beginning to question the health hazards of cigarettes, and they were questioning the long-term health risk as as well as noticing that there was more lung cancer among people who smoked. So, of course, the tobacco industry noticed that people were questioning it, and they had to uh, reassure the worried public that that it was safe to smoke. So they developed all kinds of campaigns that were aimed at health evidence. So one of the most effective campaigns they did was using actors who were dressed up as physicians. You know, how in the heck could it be dangerous to smoke if your beloved doctor was doing it? So they started incorporating images of physicians into their ads that they were, there were pictures of doctors in their printed material. There were all kinds of commercials. You can watch some of these commercials on YouTube. 
oh my goodness, they will blow your mind. Um, and it was a not too subtle message, you know, that if your doctor would smoke with all of his expertise in health, well, then it must be totally safe. Of course, you know, they, at this time, they were also using sexy movie stars with, you know, beautiful white teeth. They were using uniformed soldiers. They were using athletes, all to endorse their tobacco products. And you can see how all of these people uh, would bring on emotion because those are people that we would highly respect. They were even placing ads in comic books. Uh, But their most effective advertisements were of doctors. And this doctor you know, more more uh, doctors smoke camels campaign lasted about eight years, but the doctors in the commercials were actually actors because real physicians who were involved in advertising uh, couldn't be in commercials. They would risk losing their licenses. So instead of having a um, a real physician, because it was unethical for doctors to advertise, they would have an idealized physician, you know, someone who was wise, who was handsome, who was caring, who looked to be very trustworthy, but also who was an enthusiastic smoker. Now, the the people watching those commercials in those days didn't necessarily know that it was actors. They, I would have assumed that it was, you know, a a real doctor. Um, I wouldn't have suspected that at all. And and interestingly, there wasn't a lot of protest from the medical community. Uh, and there certainly wasn't protest from any organized uh, medicine, such as the American Medical Society, because physicians were be, were portrayed in a very favorable light in these commercials. The medical journals also at the time uh, had cigarette and tobacco advertisements. And I mean, those were those were common in the Journal of the American Medical Society. And so you can see why there was, um, you know, not a push to really document the health hazards of tobacco until much, much later. I mean, these marketing firms were so savvy. Uh, they had this more doctors campaign. And within this campaign, they would do a series of ads that would actually tell a story. I mean, we all love a good story. For example, one story series of advertisements documents a young boy's journey uh, of following in his father's footsteps into the field of medicine. So in the first ad, you're going to see the doctor who happens to be an obstetrician um, And they're at the son's birthday party and the doctor uh, gets a call and has to leave his son's birthday party to go and deliver a baby. And so the, the, the dad says something like, well, daddy has to go to another birthday party, son. Oh my gosh, who in the heck can argue with that? That's sort of a tearjerker. Uh, And he must be, you know, a super great doctor, doctor, because he's going to, leave his son's birthday party and go deliver a baby. What a nice guy. But also he's an enthusiastic smoker. Well, in another commercial in the series, um, the doctor is talking to his now grown up son and the son is trying to decide whether or not to follow his father into uh, a medical career. And the father, you know, is like patting him on the back and saying, well, it's all up to you, son. You know, all the time he's also, you know, smoking a cigarette. Well, then later in another commercial, you'll see the son as a young medical student 
And then, you know, later he's opening his own medical practice along with his proud father, adoring wife, and of course, a pack of camel cigarettes. You know, it's all so emotional. And the storyline, although it's not explicit, um, really works to portray the doctor as a family man, a a committed physician, he's self-sacrificing, and he always happens to be smoking a camel. Um, And I think we would assume by seeing all of that working out so well that smoking this cigarette has not hampered his life in any way. It has not affected his family. It has not affected his practice. You know, he looks healthy and robust. You know, once again, marketing people are very, very smart and um, they were very successful in this More Doctors Smoke Camels campaign. So. As they did this More Doctors Smoke Camels campaign, um, R.J. Reynolds uh, would give doctors free packs of camel cigarettes at medical meetings. They would, in the exhibit halls, they would hand out free cigarettes. And then when the doctors would exit the exhibit hall, they were often given a survey uh, asking what their favorite brand of cigarette was. Well, you know, duh, apparently some surveys ask Uh, even what cigarette they were carrying in their pocket. You know, more doctors really do smoke camels. It was a fact because they were at the time given camels. I mean, it wasn't until the till uh, 1978 that the American Medical Association's official journal, the JAMA, publicly acknowledged the harms of cigarettes. You know, this just all sounds like craziness to us now. Uh, And especially when I think back, when I was in fourth grade, I had a teacher who talked about the harms of cigarettes, and my dad was a smoker. So say I was in fourth grade in about 1968, and um, I went home and harassed my dad, harassed my dad, harassed my dad. I mean, it took a long time, but I did not give up, and eventually he quit smoking. Well, he had started smoking when he was like 12, and of course, cigarettes are very addictive, and he had a tough time breaking that habit, but he did, and it got to be a joke, you know, that it just wasn't worth, it wasn't fun to smoke anymore because Debbie was always harassing him, so, you know, it worked, but, um, you know, this this whole campaign was very, very successful. And this is just one brief story of the many antics that tobacco companies used to get people hooked on this very addictive drug. It wasn't just R.J. Reynolds. There were lots of other tobacco companies involved. I just thought, you know, that was just such an amazing story, the way they um, were telling the truth that more doctors did smoke camels, but the way they went around it. And, you know, you don't have to be from Oklahoma to know that cigarette smoking is the leading cause of preventable disease. And until the, you know, up until the early 1900s, lung cancer was relatively rare. But as people began to smoke, the rate of lung cancer rose dramatically and people started noticing that. They started questioning it. So consequently, the promotion came on much stronger. You know, not every person who smokes will develop lung cancer, but people who do smoke are 15 to 30 times more likely to develop lung cancer. And, you know, lung cancer is just the most common cause of 
preventable disease. I mean, that's a real key, preventable disease, preventable disability, and preventable death. The cigarettes contain 7,000 different chemicals. That's on the package, but it's really tiny. And 70 of those chemicals are known to be cancer-causing agents. Even still, uh, you know, cigarette smoking can be uh, portrayed as something that cool people do. So this podcast is not about lung cancer. It's not about cigarettes, but it is about discernment in health-related advertising. So there's lots of this going on these days. I mean, it's it's not just been cigarettes. It's everywhere. So you have to be really careful, and you have to have kind of a system, a filter of questions to ask yourself. So here are three things. Three simple questions that you can ask yourself when you're facing some health-related decision. Number one, how does this information uh, make sense when you compare it to the design of our physical bodies? So, So think about how we're designed. You know, in the case of the More Doctors Smoke Camels campaign, you know, we know that our bodies need oxygen. We know that, you know, Easily, cigarettes decrease oxygen, they increase carbon dioxide, they increase carbon monoxide, you know, and they make people, you know, not feel as good. So you sort of think, how much sense does this really make when you look at how our bodies are designed? The second question that I think is effective is... You know, who's making money from this? You know, you know, where is the independent research? Who's funding the research? You know, you've also heard this as follow the money. So, you know, that could be the second question is follow the money. So number one is think about the design of your body. Number two, follow the money. And then number three is super important. And it is, you know, consider what the test of time is. You know, time is the very best variable of any study. You you see studies, and if, if you look at how much time they actually tested something, that's a key to the quality of the study. Uh, you know, you've heard it said, time will tell. You, you know, you hear, you know, give it time. Time is really important. There are so many sad examples of of time just telling the whole story, but in the meantime, lots of people got hurt. You know, one example is um, the thalidomide tragedy that happened, you know, in like 1950. You know, thalidomide was a drug that was widely used to treat nausea in pregnant women. Yeah, nausea is a problem, but wow, um, the they found out, you know, in the 60s that it caused severe birth defects. Uh, and time would, you know, time will tell. You just don't want to always be the first person to jump on the bandwagon. Another, you know, very sad example, um, personally sad for me in my dental practice, was um, the diet pills that, you know, like were Fin Fin and Pondamin. I mean, that was a real diet craze. I had one of my favorite patients that uh, lost a bunch of weight but then she developed a severe lung problem that killed her. You know, they would, um, these diet pills were were just so easy and they seemed, you know, too good to be true. And they actually were. They help people feel full. But, you know, here again, we have, we need the test of time. They were found to cause heart valve disease and primary pulmonary hypertension. Uh, very, very sad. I'm sure many of you know someone who who had had problems, and even people who now have uh, heart defects that they're living with because of 
of those pills. So you know, if you want your life to be better, then think about, you know, resisting normal. I'd like to talk about this because it is normal to get carried away with emotional advertising. Normal is merely the usual and the regular pattern in any society at any period of time. It's what is familiar to us. So in our current world, people too often rely on emotional commercials to make their health decisions. And this can be very dangerous in the long run. It can can really hijack your vitality. You have to protect your vitality. Remember, the usual and regular pattern is not good. Consider what normal is uh, in our world. It's dehydrated. It's irritated. It's constipated, frustrated, overscheduled, overstimulated, undernourished, underrested, inflamed, and totally stressed out. If you want to make a more informed decision, decrease your chance of having regret, uh, just remember to ask yourself three simple questions that will help you have a a better filter of discernment. So number one, does it make sense based on the design of our bodies? Number two, who is profiting from this advertising? And number three, has it withstood the test of time? Health does not need to be confusing, expensive, or no fun. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate that you're subscribing and sharing. We're uh, we're growing and it's all organic growth because I'm basically a self social media loser. Uh, myself, I'm trying to get better, but that's a slow process. Um, we are now in, let's see, 53 countries and 608 cities. We've picked up quite a few cities uh, and that's all thanks to you. So please keep on sharing, keep on subscribing, and keep on listening. Blessings until next time.